There's a spirit in our land raising up the kind of man with a burning in his heart to be free. Like the preacher man of old, he can't be bought, he can't be sold. What did they preach? They preached liberty. Exercise of their God-given right Granted them at the time of their birth The right to speak their arms and pray Worship God on land and say From bad law we will keep our people free Through the jury we'll guard our liberty They call the king into accounting For his disregard of law not to yield before his threats For God established rulers to protect the rights of man And ordained government to fit into his plan To maintain his people's liberty Liberty to exercise all their God-given rights Granted them at the time of their birth From bad law, we will keep our people free. Through the jewelry, we'll guard our liberty. Such preacher men today to show our people the way to redeem their lost liberty. The fires of hell cannot prevail against one man who'll take a stand from the pulpit, expose tyranny, and teach his people liberty. Liberty to exercise all their God-given rights, granted them time of their birth, the right to speak their arms and pray, worship God on land and say, from bad law, we will keep our people free, through the jury, we'll guard our liberty, liberty to exercise all their God-given rights, granted them at the time of their birth, the right to speak their arms and pray, worship God not guilty we choose to acquit the state was wrong to charge him this law is not fit for a people who love their liberty for a people who will die for liberty ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the voice of liberty this is Rick Tyler welcoming you to our broadcast. And today we want to begin with a scripture verse from 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 17. It says, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit 
of the Lord is, there is liberty. Again, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, why is it that throughout the world there is so little liberty to be found? Why is it that liberty is such a scarce commodity in this world today? Well, I submit to you that the reason that liberty is such a rarity in the world today is that the Spirit of the Lord is not prevalent in the affairs of men. In fact, quite to the opposite. Mankind is in a rebellion, a state of abject rebellion against the law of God, against the truth of God. And of course, America came into existence because there were a people, there happened to be a people, that they were in pursuit of religious liberty. They left the European shores and they came to what became known as America in pursuit of the ability to worship God and serve God according to their conscience and according to the dictates of Scripture. And the results of that endeavor on their part, of course, led to the flowering forth and the coming forth of something that really in the world at that time was non-existent, a very, very vivid and full expression of Christian liberty. This, of course, formed the basis and the foundation of what ultimately led to the establishment of a form of government that was a breakaway concept from the monarchies that they had left in Europe. You see, in Europe, the divine right of kings was enshrined as a modality or form of government. It was the very deeply entrenched belief in the European world that kings and monarchs had an imminent right to rule over and preside over their fellow men, and that it was the duty, it was the obligation of the subjects of the king to be in subservience to that monarchy, to that authority. And this was largely unquestioned amongst the people. When the settlers came to America, they had lived through and they had seen the deficiencies of monarchy. They had witnessed the deprivations. They had witnessed uh, the great abuses that emanated from a monarchy type of government. And they were intent upon being able to pursue their conscience. In other words, to bring to life the words of that scripture, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, this is a very broad and a very complicated concept on some levels, while at the same time, simultaneously, it has a purity and simplicity to it. But as is the case with most uh, phenomena in this world and in this life, it is easier to talk about something than to actually put it into practice. But these forefathers of ours who came to the American shores, uh, beginning with the Mayflower and the landing at Plymouth Rock, they were intent upon doing things in a different way. And ultimately, their credo, their motto became no king but King Jesus. In fact, when things got around to the point in time where there was an American revolution that was executed and carried out and fought against the mother country, against King George III and against the Redcoats, that had become the veritable motto of the revolution. No king but King Jesus. 
Because after all, Jesus Christ is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We are bought with a price. We are his bondservants. We are his subjects. And the founding fathers, by and large, in their theology and in their Christian faith, they understood that although our destiny is eternal, and though we uh, seek after a destiny and an eternal life that is not of this world, as it is presently uh, composed or as it presently consists, they nevertheless understood that our sojourn in the here and now was very, very vital and very, very important to the equation that we were not to abdicate responsibility, that we were to view this life as the opportunity to lay up treasure in heaven, as the opportunity to prepare for whatever our eternal destiny would consist of in terms of rewards. And they understood that salvation was not by works, but that certainly one's status and position in the eternal kingdom had a great deal to do with the works that they performed in the here and now. In other words, this bred a conscience in them that compelled them to serve the living God and to seek to be in obedience to his commandments and, of course, to pursue that objective of seeing liberty flourish in the midst of the people. Because after all, again, as the scripture says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, in our present hour of history that we're in right now, Liberty is vanishing with such a rate of rapidity that it is truly dizzying. It is mind-boggling to witness the rate of speed at which our liberties are disappearing, evaporating, being systematically dismantled and taken away from us. And once again, the cause and effect reality is that because the Spirit of the Lord is not reigning supreme in our midst, we are losing our liberties very quickly at the present time. Now, there was an hour of history going back a few generations where the dissipation of liberty was much slower, albeit still very real, but slower in its pace to the point where it was more difficult for people to observe and recognize. Like the metaphor of the frog, slowly boiling in the pot of water on the stove. If the temperature is raised gradually enough, the frog will not jump out of the water until it is too late, until the frog can no longer jump out of the water and grows very close to perishing in the rapidly boiling water. We have fulfilled that metaphor in many ways. We have been like that frog. The uh, rate of regression in terms of the loss of our liberties around us, has been slow enough to where people have not fully recognized and realized what was transpiring before their very eyes. And of course, because of this phenomenon, because of this fact, there has been this steady increase of the erosion of the liberty of the people to the point where we are now in dire and grave peril. Now, the enemies of liberty, they tend to become at times smug and arrogant and even overconfident. But there does come a point in time when justifiably they become so certain of their imminent victory over the otherwise liberty-loving people of the land that they somewhat throw caution to the four winds. They recognize that in many respects there's no turning back, that the people have traveled so far 
down the road of disobedience and sin and depravity and wickedness that there is very little chance, if any at all, of things turning around. Now, with God, all things are possible. We know that that is true. And we know that no matter how far down the road to tyranny, no matter how far down the road to the loss of liberty we are, that there is always, at the very least, a glimmer of possibility that through divine intervention and miraculous empowerment and protection, that somehow, some way, liberty can be wrested once again from the jaws of evil, from the forces of wickedness that want to put us into totalitarian bondage and submission to an alien authority. We are certainly at that crossroads right now, and we have been for quite some time, whether people have realized it or not. One of the weapons in the arsenal of our enemies is false hope, and I submit to you that the last four years have been marked by a false hope that many of our people have been in the grip of due to the election of Donald Trump. False hope, of course, is something that that is very persuasive in its own right. When someone is in the grip of false hope, it is for a good reason. There have been factors that have been instilled and established around them, which at a cursory glance might lead to an inaccurate conclusion. And again, this has been the case with Donald Trump. False hope. Many people believing the rhetoric when Donald Trump would talk about America first. Many people believing the rhetoric when Donald Trump would speak as though somehow he were a paragon of constitutionality and desire to defend the republic as originally established. All manner of mythology has swirled around Donald Trump. And this, of course, is part of a plan to engender a cult of personality, to make people believe that a leader, a particular leader, is somehow God's anointed man to save the day, to pluck the brand from the burning, to bring America back from the brink of disaster and destruction. Along the way, there have been numerous, probably very well-intentioned, religious people, but nevertheless deluded or deceived, who have actually prophesied They've gotten up in their church gatherings or in different settings, and they have uttered prophecies, supposedly from the Lord, to the effect that God has raised up Donald Trump to save the day, to somehow turn America back to its roots and back to its origins. Well, it would be one thing if Donald Trump fit the bill, so to speak, if he measured up in terms of biblical standards. But when one looks more carefully and in a more detailed fashion, at the man, Donald Trump, and at his history, even if one looks at his present actions, the actions that he entered into while president of the United States, one begins to recognize the dichotomy, the inconsistency, the double-mindedness that has to be practiced by those who want to believe that Trump somehow is God's man. Donald Trump, of course, Over the years, uh, during his ascent to the level and degree of wealth that he possesses, he was smiled upon propitiously by the banking cartel. Donald Trump was able to get financing to the tune of, of very, very large sums of money, hundreds of millions of dollars, 
so that he could finance the construction of and the building of skyscrapers and golf courses, all of the real estate type endeavors and transactions that he built his empire upon. And of course, Donald Trump's empire was centered upon the hospitality industry, casinos and the likes uh, thereof. And Trump himself never exuded any meaningful sense of awareness relative to matters spiritual. During, of course, his political career that he embarked upon when he announced that he was running for president, Donald Trump modified and he altered and transitioned from positions that he had previously held to. Somewhat like a Mitt Romney, for instance, when he was running for and managed to achieve the nomination for the Republican Party for the presidency. Mitt Romney, who had been very staunchly pro-abortion, who had been very much in favor of a, a health care type system that ultimately mirrored what became Obamacare, suddenly this new, newly minted Mitt Romney was pro-life and he was against uh, national health care. In other words, he evolved. He was like a chameleon. He metamorphosized into something that would be palatable and acceptable to the Republican Party base that would be necessary for him to get the nomination. In the case of Donald Trump, we have seen a similar metamorphosis. Now, many people want to attribute that to a sincere conversion, a sincere transition into a stance and position favorably inclined uh, to those aspects of a political platform that could be deemed consistent with Scripture, a staunch anti-abortion position or pro-life position, a position staunchly against national health care. But I submit to you that during the unfolding of the Trump administration that there were many telltale signs along the way that Donald Trump was something other than legitimate, genuine, and sincere. Of course, for starters, we know that nobody who has ever occupied the White House was as overtly pro-Zionism and pro-Israel as Donald Trump. Donald Trump clearly venerates Israel. He clearly venerates those who are believed to be the chosen people in the world today. And of course, even in his own family uh, structure, in terms of the outworking of the, the marriages of his children, uh, there is a very, very prominent, very central place that is occupied by those who can be counted among the ones who are thought to believe, be rather the chosen people in the world today. Jared Kushner, for instance, occupied a very pivotal, a very central role in the Trump White House. And if one looks at the pardons that were issued on Trump's way out the door, one has to recognize that Jared Kushner, right up to the very end of Trump's administration, was still very prominent in terms of his influence and calling the shots, because that list of individuals who received pardons was not indicative of someone issuing forth pardons who had the interest of the Constitution and liberty and Christianity and the Bible at heart. Donald Trump, of course, in his career, he has been a showman. Uh, he has been someone very, very much intertwined with the entertainment industry. And he has also been very favorably disposed to the hip-hop industry, being very, very close to the likes of 
Kanye West and other rappers, some of whom remain loyal to him, and of course one of whom, or two of whom rather, uh, received pardons on his way out the door. So there are many inconsistencies with Donald Trump, and we would like to believe that there would be an individual elevated to the presidency of America who would contend for the interest of true blue, red-blooded, constitutional, patriotic type Americans. But the performance and the real profile of Donald Trump suggests that he is something other than that description. Now, this is disheartening. It is disappointing. But God does not want us to be captivated by false hope. He does not want us to believe in fantasies. He does not want us following or uh, falling rather for uh, the QAnon type movements that pop up cyclically and periodically in the ranks of our movement. And by the way, those who currently have fallen under the spell of the Q uh, movement, they probably don't realize that this isn't the first time that this notion has been put forth in the midst of the patriotic community and the Christian community. There have been other times in the past when a similar storyline has been advanced, that there are the good guys, the white hats in the intelligence community who are working secretly on the inside, getting ready to effect large-scale arrest of the traitors and treasonists amongst us. This happened in the mid-90s, and there were articles that appeared in patriotic publications to the effect that that the white hats among the intelligence community, active and retired, were actually traveling around the country with semi-trucks, with mainframe computers, and they were very much on top of everything that was going on, and they were getting ready to effect mass arrest of the Clintons and people of their ilk back in the 90s. Yes, this has happened before, but many of the people who have fallen hook, line, and sinker for the Q movement, they did not experience what I'm speaking of in the 90s. They did not go through the circumstances that I'm speaking of where this mythology was advanced in the midst of our people to give them false hope. Needless to say, in the 90s, nothing happened. Just like nothing happened on the 6th of January, even though there were many avid Q followers who were there ready with the zip ties to put the cuffs on certain of the more odious, evil leaders in our Congress and in our Senate. But again, nothing happened. And nothing happened because the entire Q movement is a gigantic psyop that emanates and originates from the deep deep state itself. Now, this, of course, bursts the bubble of many people who want to believe wholeheartedly that there is a Q, that there really is this contingency and this cadre of loyalists to the Constitution and to Americana and to God and country and liberty, that there really are these people that are deeply entrenched within the intelligence community and they are poised, ready to strike, ready to scoop up and swoop up all of the evildoers and put them on trial in military tribunals and send them, if not to their execution, to Guantanamo Bay. They point to all of the seemingly relevant and pertinent phenomena that are going on that they believe provide evidence for the storyline that they're believing in. Was Guantanamo Bay, were the facilities there expanded recently? Well, they probably were, but it wasn't 
to house the likes of the Obamas and the Clintons and their fellow travelers. If anything, Guantanamo is being expanded for the hundreds, if not thousands, of patriots who are going to be charged with being domestic terrorists, rounded up, uh, railroaded through kangaroo court trials, and probably sent to places like Guantanamo or other re-education camps, if not to the guillotine itself. Now, these are the grim realities that we're facing, not the pie-in-the-sky fantasies that many of our people are prone to fall for. Donald Trump, of course, also surrounded himself by the very swamp creatures that supposedly he went to Washington, D.C. to get rid of. And then, of course, when the phony pandemic was hatched and launched, Donald Trump was right there, heralding and exalting the supposed credentials of Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, calling them very, very smart people, acting as though they had some level of integrity, when in fact the track record was long and well-established that Anthony Fauci is an arch-villain, an arch-criminal, and always has been. Of course, remember one of the first things he did back in the Reagan years when he first came onto the radar screen? He was the driving force behind the indemnification of the vaccine manufacturers, giving them the provision where they would not be held to accountability for their crimes. No liability for the vaccine manufacturers. Thank you, Dr. Fauci. Donald Trump had to know this. Donald Trump is not some ignoramus who is oblivious to his surroundings and circumstances. He is a highly intelligent individual. And yet, he went along lock, stock, and barrel with the whole pandemic uh, phony scam, as it turns out it is. He declared a state of national emergency, which was then immediately and instantaneously seized upon by the governors of the states throughout the land to declare states of emergency in their own states. And then, even though there was no empirical evidence that there was a pandemic, that there was a corona a virus of the proportions that it was being portrayed as, even though there was no evidence to support that, Trump and the governors of the states began to issue forth decrees, emergency orders, that of course were designed by globalist uh, designs and by globalist ambitions to completely subvert, truncate, and destroy the American economy and the economy of the Western world. All the while, of course, very quickly, China's economy was set aright and they were allowed to resume business as usual. The globalists have long planned to use pandemics, plagues, etc. as a means to institute what amounts to a medical dictatorship, what amounts to rule by decree, by fear and fear-mongering. And that, of course, is precisely and exactly what was done under the guise and under the pretense and under the auspices of COVID-19. The evidence was flagrant and overwhelming as to the origins of the virus. The evidence was beyond doubt, beyond dispute as to the malevolent intentions of individuals such as Bill Gates, a man with zero credentials to play such a leading and prominent role in the World Health Organization and in the rolling out of this global vaccination program. A man who obviously is guilty of insider trading on steroids, 
someone who has already profited enormously through his monopolistic practices in the uh, technology industry, and of course, who is now profiting enormously through the rollout of everything related to the phony pandemic. And of course, part of the entire process of bringing America under the grip of the COVID-19 fantasy was the institution of the ritualistic wearing of masks. And of course, this has served to divide America into two basic camps, those who are very, very much in favor of not only wearing masks themselves, but also forcing everyone else to wear masks. And already we have in other countries, we have programs and intentions being formally announced to round up and detain in types of quarantine camps and punishment camps and re-education camps those who refuse to go along with the wearing of masks. Airlines have already banned over 2,500 people from flying, from being able to avail themselves of flight services simply because they have resisted wearing masks. And so we are seeing right now how the COVID-19 phony pandemic is being used to drive nails in the coffin lid of liberty throughout the world. And America, of course, is being subjected to some of the most pervasive methods and tactics of manipulation relative to this fake, phony pandemic. And Trump has gone along with it every step of the way. While, of course, at times, paying lip service to resistance and opposition, but never doing what was within his ability and within his grasp to do. Namely, to acknowledge that we had all been scammed, that we had been the victims of a gigantic fraud, and that he was summarily ending the declared state of emergency. If Trump had ended the declared state of emergency, announcing to the world that he had determined that everybody had been bamboozled and had been duped, then, of course, none of the governors of the states of the union would have had the pretense to continue to seek to mandate draconian rules and regulations upon their own uh, populations. The blue states in particular that have, that have made the most accentuated usage of this process for the enslavement of their people, New York, California, for instance, these types of states, they would have been rendered incapable and impotent in terms of their ability to continue in this direction. And the American economy would not be languishing in the state that it is in today. Of course, we also know that part of the pandemic involved so-called stimulus bailout-type packages to give everybody checks, to give everybody benefits from the public trough. We're talking about amounts in the trillions of dollars, just adding massive new quantities of revenue to the national debt. And of course, Donald Trump going right along with this, propounding advocacy for these stimulus-type packages involving the increase of the national debt to utterly insane proportions. It is completely determined and inevitable by the laws of cause and effect that the national debt that we languish under, even before the pandemic and the economic debacle that has resulted as, as a direct result of it, 
we already were in an insane, untenable, no-win situation and position where our economy was inevitably headed towards the cliff. But now it has just been driven to the point of absurdity and complete, complete abandonment of any semblance of rationality whatsoever. Now, the Q proponents, of course, believe that Trump has been playing 3D, 4D, 5D chess all along, that he is the mastermind working at this 3D chess board, three steps ahead of the enemy at every turn, and that he has plans that at the 11th hour, 59th minute, 59th second, will pull it out of the fire. Part of the belief, of course, of the, the Q proponents is that Donald Trump has plans and his backers, they have plans still to this day to effect the arrest of the evildoers that have illicitly seized the levers of power. The latest flurry of supposed evidence is along the lines of that the White House went dark for two hours and that all kinds of law enforcement vehicle activity was going on in and around the White House while the White House was dark. And then after a couple of hours, the lights came back on after there was a fireworks display. And this supposedly symbolizes the fact that the arrest did happen and that they were heralded by the detonation of the fireworks in a, cel a celebratory manner. It is believed that uh, Biden is not at the White House, that he is operating from a studio, that somehow the good guys probably have seized the White House back. Maybe Biden and his supporters have been relegated to some location where they are feebly trying to act as though they are the real government. In other words, these totally unprovable fantasies continue to swirl and proliferate and abound amongst our people. And there are great numbers of our people who believe wholeheartedly in what is being advanced under this notion, under this uh, surmising type proposition and theorizing that is going on. I submit to you that those who are smart enough to invent Q, to bring forth the very sophisticated PSYOP known as QAnon, those who are players, longtime players, schooled in this uh, whole system and science of mind control, they know how to string people along. They know how to put out false signals to give people false hope so that at every turn, those who continue to try to inform people of this supposed information fall flat on their face and look foolish. And of course, this just reinforces the idea that conspiracy theorists are a bunch of wacko tinfoil hat wearing nut jobs. Now, I don't mean to be too harsh and, of course, for those who have hung their hopes and placed all of their hopes on these strange anomalies that consistently go on, I would just say to you, look at the provable evidence. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The Bible tells us that where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also. And, of course, Scripture tells us as well that you will know them by their fruit. And so as we look at the performance of Trump, even though compared to what we had been used to under Obama and other administrations the likes of Obama, 
even the Republican ones, of course, that were clearly neocon and globalist in their performance and in their warmongering, yes, it did appear like some great strides of progress were being made under Donald Trump. And indeed, in many ways they were. Who could argue that even though we were in excess of $20 trillion in debt and inevitably slated for a great fall and collapse and an implosion of our economy at some not-too-distant point in time, that at least for the time being, during the Trump years, there was a recovery in the economy. Gas prices did stay low, very low. And, of course, everybody appreciated and enjoyed that and have enjoyed it. Truly, any measure of withdrawal from a globalist program, uh, be it an environmental-type uh, program or treaty, or be it the World Health Organization or funding the lion's share of, of any UN globalist-type scheme, that's a step in the right direction. But juxtaposed against the continued accumulation of multiple trillions of dollars of additional national debt, well, I'm sorry. It still doesn't portend anything in a long-term sense which could be called good or favorable. We as a nation and as an economy are careening down the steep mountain road at breakneck speed on two wheels, getting ready to take the plunge into the ravine at any time. And it's only through smoke and mirrors that the architects of our modern Keynesian economy, that they have managed to hold things together precariously. When they so choose, when they decide that from a globalist standpoint, the time has come to pull the plug on the American economy and to destroy the dollar as the primary unit monetarily and economically in the world, they are fully capable of doing that. And of course, while we're taking a deep dive and looking at the broad spectrum of truth concerning all of these subjects, let's remember that in 1913, the Federal Reserve Act was illicitly ramrodded through our Congress. It was illegally passed. You see, the election theft that we have just witnessed is nothing new. Our government has been criminally enacting sweeping major policies for more than a century, way more than a century. The 16th Amendment, the 17th Amendment, neither of them were ever properly ratified by the respective states of the Union. This was proven by Bill Benson back in the 1980s when he brought forth the published work called The Law That Never Was. It was taken into federal court, the evidence, over 17,000 certified pages of documentation garnered from the capitals, the state capitals of the 48 contiguous states. It was introduced into the court in the Janie Ferguson case in the federal court. The judge ruled that it was a political matter, that judicially they could not rule on this question of whether the 16th Amendment was properly ratified or not. When the attorney representing Janie Ferguson, Larry B. Kraft, and Bill Benson, who was the expert witness, sought to go to their political leaders at the instruction of the court, the political leaders told them that it was a judicial matter. And so it was just a circular dog chasing its tail uh, type of situation. And needless to say, the evidence was not allowed to be introduced, just as the evidence of election fraud was not allowed to be introduced in the case of the recent stolen presidential election. Later on, when Bill Benson himself was brought up on criminal charges by the Justice Department under IRS 
investigatory type procedures. Mr. Benson himself was not allowed by the court to submit his own research, the 17,000 plus pages of certified documentation that the 16th Amendment was never ratified. I only bring this uh, relatively uh, old history in terms of our movement, I only bring this up to inform and instruct everybody that this process that we have witnessed of the theft of the election is nothing new. Uh, those of us who have, who have been around for quite some time, even in the days, the early days of the internet, before there was broadband, before there was live streaming on the internet, when it was just in the days of dial-up, and we had to go to the airwaves of shortwave radio to get the truth out. We were interviewing people back then who had thoroughly documented election fraud and the stealing of elections back then. One such individual, Jim Condit, was an expert at that time in election theft and was interviewed on many programs. The 17th Amendment, of course, back in 1913, changed the manner in which U.S. senators came to power. Of course, they used to be chosen by the state legislatures. And if they did not do the bidding, if they did not act in the interest of their state that they were there to serve, they could be summarily recalled by the state legislature. And it was imperative that that their election be changed or their process of becoming senators be changed to popular election so that we could have an impotent Senate such as what we have today. A Senate, of course, that can be gerrymandered by election fraud, such as what we witnessed in the state of Georgia here recently. So all of these diabolical and decrepit and devious and deceitful crimes have been committed for generation upon generation. There is nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said. And in the age of Donald Trump, many people, thankfully, have been energized and activated for the first time into the political world. They have grown excited for the first time in their life as they heard an individual who has been called the blue-collar billionaire, a man who was bare knuckles in his approach, a man who seemingly called a, a spade a spade, a man who stood there on the stage during the Republican debates and actually bested all of the opponents that were there on the stage with him, a man who gave better than he got, a man who seemingly told it like it was, a man who admitted candidly, of course he took money from the liberals and from everybody. That's how the game was played, he told everybody. In other words, here was a man that was speaking seemingly the unvarnished truth, and that resonated with so many of our countrymen. Understandably, yours truly, it resonated with me as well. But we must be wise as serpents. We must be quick to look beyond the rhetoric. After all, talk is cheap. The old saying tells us talk is cheap, and, and it is. It's easy to say something. It's another thing altogether to live it, to put action behind the words. Yes, Donald Trump came into office, and he did fulfill a great many of his promises, which was virtually unheard of on the part of a president or a political candidate period. This, of course, won Trump even more loyalty, even more accolades. And, of course, Trump is also a showman extraordinaire. He's brash. He's bold. He's bombastic. He's the master of the insult. His style 
can't help but appeal to those who are tired of being pushed around and belittled. Trump was seemingly the ideal champion to take up the cause of the downtrodden, silent majority. And of course, his rallies, where his showmanship was on full display, were second to none. They were like nothing that has happened in American politics uh, since the America First movement prior to World War II. Even more so because with the advent of modern technology, Trump had the benefit of already being a megastar, already being somebody in the entertainment industry who was a household name. So Donald Trump, of course, was in many respects, if you were a Machiavellian deep state type operative, and remember the deep state isn't even supposed to exist. Yes, there were the church hearings back in the 80s that supposedly reigned in the CIA, but the CIA itself cannot be legitimized in the Constitution. The CIA is a creature that grew out of the skullduggery and the shenanigans of World War II. And there shouldn't be a CIA. One could even argue that the FBI is inherently flawed in the structure of its, its existence. But the CIA in particular and the other intelligence agencies are corrupt to the marrow. Ron Paul once said that he was a congressman but had no idea whatsoever what the CIA was doing. Of course, they have sources of illicit funding that they are able to tap into, their black budgets. And the CIA, ever since its inception, has been involved in activity, has been involved in criminality, the likes of which is off the charts. It is incalculable. Deposing regimes, murdering heads of state of other countries, overseeing the importation of massive quantities of drugs into America. And of course, the MENA Arkansas connection is part and parcel of that CIA project. The whole Nicaraguan spectacle during the Reagan years, the Iran Contragate scandal. Of course, also Gary Webb and his Dark Alliance series of articles, which ultimately brought his death about attributed to suicide, even though he shot himself supposedly twice in the head. Yes, the CIA is inherently and intrinsically and irreformably corrupt and should not even exist. And yet that deep state continues to be the source of untold fantasies and instances of false hope that are then translated into the ranks of our people neutralizing them and pulling their attention away from where it should be, which is activism and reform at the local level. My dear friends, there is no hope in our nation today beyond taking the steps of secession. And this is not, of course, insurrection. That is, this is not sedition. That is, this is not treason, as people would have ignorant individuals to believe. Secession has to be legal because the 13 colonies seceded from Great Britain. Yes, they had to fight a war, but that war was only because of the criminal usurpation on the part of the crown, the attempt to maintain the enslavement over the people that was enjoyed by King George III. Secession is our only hope today, because it is imperative, it is essential that we have a geopolitical entity somewhere on the map 
of what is presently America that declares independence with duly constituted governmental authority operating under the law of God, under the precepts of Scripture. I've pointed out many times to people that in America, the county system is the bedrock in terms of the formation of the states and then the states of the nation. And individual counties at some point in time must take upon themselves the God-ordained responsibility to govern according to biblical law and according to the will of God at the county level. If such is the case, if such happens, then God only knows what the result might be. We can make some inferences from what God has told us. Once again, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. If the Spirit of the Lord is operative at the county level, might there be liberty at the county level? I submit to you there is a very real possibility that there will be. Of course, just like when Moses went into Egypt, it was necessary for God to pour out his miraculous power and provision upon Moses and upon his actions, so too would it be necessary today for us to have divine providence and protection and empowerment. But that was the case also for the founding fathers back in 1776 and the years that followed. The founding fathers, by and large men of devout Christian faith, they recognized that their firm reliance was upon divine providence. And there's no way, I submit to you, that they could have possibly prevailed in the conflict against the the preeminent superpower of the world of their time without that divine providence working and operating in their favor and in their interest. And so that's what we need today. Now, remember the verse, 2 Chronicles 7.14, which we frequently allude to in this broadcast, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. And there's nothing to say that that reference to healing the land only can be applied to Israel of that time. Now clearly, contextually, that's who it was written to at that time. But I believe by extension, the Second Chronicles 7.14 principle can be applied to our circumstances today. We are, after all, the true manifestation of bloodline Israel in the world today. We are the people of the book. And those words were written to our ancestors, and they are part of our inheritance. And there's nothing to say that the healing of our land could only apply to the entire breadth of the nation as presently constituted. We are inevitably going to be balkanized. Anybody who believes otherwise is living a fantasy in that regard. The balkanization of America is virtually inevitable. And so we might as well embrace that reality and begin to live the balkanization principle. In a county, or counties plural, that are comprised of and consist of a demographic that is made up of our people, we could begin to invoke the promises and the precepts of Second Chronicles 7.14 and look for the imminent possibility, if not probability, that God would heal that portion of our land. Now, the objective is towering. It's daunting. 
in some ways, seemingly impossible. But again, that's why the words of Scripture are found that tell us with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Well, I would like to give you some information as to how you can communicate with us if you so choose. You can write to us at Post Office Box 274. That's P.O. Box 274. Etowah, E-T-O-W-A-H, Tennessee, 37331. Once again, P.O. Box 274, Etowah, E-T-O-W-A-H, Tennessee, 37331. Or you can call us at 423 area code 241-7902. That's 423-241-7902. Or you can email us at voiceofliberty1776-1776 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you if you would like to communicate. Now, bear in mind, again, our mission is not to tickle your ears. It's not to prop up false hope. It's not to participate in the fantasies and in the the wishful thinking that unfortunately is prevalent and that abounds amongst our people. But instead, to tell the rock-solid, no-holes-barred truth the truth that can be proven, because Paul said, prove all things, prove all things, and hold fast that which is good. So we're not interested in -in pie-in-the-sky scenarios. We're not interested in live-action role-playing. We're not interested in massaging the fantasies and the wishful thinking that has gained such a foothold in the midst of our people. Sensationalism is not what we need. What we instead need is boots on the ground, rolling up one's sleeves, having a vision that's consistent with empirical evidence, such as Proverbs 29, uh, verse 18 instructs us, where it says, where there's no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. We need to show forth a vivid manifestation of the power of, and the truth of the God of Scripture. We need to bring forth a prototype, if you will, of how the law of God and the truth of God can work in the midst of his people. We're talking about secession. We're talking about separatism. We're talking about the need to expunge ourselves of the corruption and, of course, the falsities that have plagued us and that have threatened to do us in over time. Over and over and over again, throughout the course of the history of the truth movement, the America First movement, the Patriot movement, the Tax Strike movement, the Race Realism movement, all of the aspects and components of the truth movement, time and time again, it has come to pass that an individual will mount the stage nationally a George Wallace, for instance, and people will rally around that figure and believe that somehow that individual represents the hope for the restoration of our nation. The problem is, though, is that hypothetical scenario of restoration is never predicated upon biblical truth and principles. 
but instead is always predicated on compromise. National revival and repentance are never the cornerstone of such a hypothetical restoration scenario. Instead, somehow our people believe that we can compromise our way to healing, that somehow through a compromise construct that we can nevertheless glean and garner and achieve the blessings of Almighty God and somehow that we can persuade him to heal our land in the absence of the fulfillment of the specific tenets of Second Chronicles 7.14. Well, I'm here to tell you that there are no shortcuts. I'm here to tell you that there is no compromised solution, that we must be fierce advocates of the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, that we must be willing to stand in the gap, that we must be willing to incur the risk and the hardship that is consistent with the great heroes of faith that we read about in the 11th chapter of of the book of Hebrews. Some, of course, were sawn asunder. Some forsook deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. But remember, some subdued kingdoms. And it is within our power as servants of the living God if we will take up the proper weapons of our warfare, which Paul said were not carnal but mighty to the pulling down or bringing down of strongholds. It is possible that if we will follow this biblical procedure that we could see 10,000 fall at our right hand, that we could see miracles on par with what God poured out upon his Israel people prior to the exodus the plagues that he visited upon Egypt. And remember, God's Israel people spoiled the Egyptians on their way out. The scripture tells us that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. The scripture tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Yes, we must be willing to attempt something so great that unless God intervenes, it's destined to fail. We must be willing to trust in the power of the God of Scripture to vanquish our enemies, if necessary, in miraculous fashion, like when the angel killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Yes, my dear friends, we haven't seen these types of miraculous expression in our lifetime, but that's not to say that it won't happen in the days ahead. But we must first be willing to go out in faith Like the apostles, when they had the faith, they were able to walk on the water. We must be able to flex that faith muscle ourselves. We must be willing and able to walk in that caliber and brand of faith as we seek after that city whose builder and maker is God. Well, thank you again for tuning in today. We would love to hear from you. If you desire to make contact, we have lots of information to continue to impart and announcements as to how we will be modifying this broadcast in the days ahead to have guests on and take calls from the listening audience. But until then, until we are together again, this is Rick Tyler once again thanking you for tuning in and wishing God's blessing and empowerment and protection upon you. We 
need such preacher men today to show our people the way to redeem their lost liberty.